Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Take a seat, and as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, uh, in case you've not been here throughout this series, let me just do a quick recap for you about uh, where we've been and then where we're, where we're headed today. Uh, so this is obviously 2 Timothy. It's Paul's second Timothy, or second letter that he wrote to uh, a guy named Timothy who was um, a pastor of, of a church in a town called Ephesus. And uh, the first letter to Timothy is really um, very pastoral. And so it's written from Paul to Timothy as pastor at the church in Ephesus. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul addresses several uh, issues that Tim, Timothy's dealing with as pastor. And in 2 Timothy now, uh, it becomes a much more personal letter because this is uh, Paul's last uh, communication with Timothy. As he understands his life, his own life is, is drawing to a close. Um, and so Paul begins simply by reminding Timothy of the legacy of faith in his own family, uh, about his the faith that dwelt with his mother and his grandmother. And then uh, Paul called Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, and in fact, even to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Then uh, uh, we saw a couple weeks ago a call for t- Timothy to continue in faithfulness and, and a charge to avoid spending time arguing needlessly with false teachers, to, to stop just getting in, this, in these uh, arguments. Um, with, with folks who just wanted to argue all the time over stuff that didn't really matter. Maybe, maybe you've encountered one, of the, one or two of those people in your own life. Don't, don't point fingers. Um, and then last week we saw really this call for Timothy to flee from the traps of youth and to pursue holiness, and that was a call to be gentle, in this case specifically for, for Timothy as pastor, but really for all believers as well to, to live our lives in gentleness. And today, uh, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit and look at the, the realities of the dark world in which we live and, and the deception of what we'll call cultural Christianity. And, uh, and we will uh, we'll find out what that looks like and some of the traps that are there for us, um, even now in 2019 in the United States of America. All right, so if you have your copy of God's Word open, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Let's stand together as we read the Word that the Lord has given to us today. 2 Timothy 3 says this, But know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. 
They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the chance to gather together and open up your word. And I just pray that you will speak through your word to us this morning. Maybe you'd open our eyes to the the traps of the culture around us, to the realities in which we live, as well as to some of the dangers that we as believers can can fall into. So will you change our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our actions where we need it? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You can have a seat. Let me, um, so, so the way this is going this morning is, is really pretty simple. Um, we have, first of all, the reality that Paul tells us about right in, right in chapter 3, right in verse 1. He says that um, in, in the last days, it says hard times will come. And in fact, he even it calls Timothy's attention here. He says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. Okay, so, so there's the reality. The reality is simply that hard times will come. Now, now the question is, well, then what does uh, Paul exactly mean when he says last days? Is that something that we're in now? Is that something that's coming later? Well, the way Paul will use this term is in reference to that time but between, uh, between Jesus' ministry and when he finally returns for his people. Okay, so, so that time period between Jesus' earthly ministry and his second coming. In other words, we, according to this definition here, we are in the last times. Now, it would also mean that we've been in the last time, in the last days for 2,000 years. It just simply means the, the last period. There's nothing coming after this. This is, this is it until Christ returns to bring his people. So, so when Paul here says, know this, hard times will come in the last days, he himself was living in that time and, and recognizing that there were already some hard times. Now fast forward 2,000 years later, would we not say there's still hard times? And we're not done yet, okay? In fact, if you go back and read some passages like Matthew 24... I think we'll see that we've, we've not yet scraped the surface of how hard the times will actually be. And yet we see, uh, we see some, some shades of that even now. Right? Hard times will come in the last days. That is, a, that is a Bible promise that you can stake your claim on. Right? Maybe you look at that and you say, well, I don't really want to claim that promise. Well, it doesn't matter Right? If, you, if you're going if you, if to try to claim the promises of the Bible, this is one that's in there for us. And, and it does us no good to live in denial of reality. You ever known somebody who was sick, like, like really sick, and they just refused to accept the reality of what was going on? It, it doesn't do us any good to, to try to feign ignorance here. And the Bible would not allow us to get away with that. The Bible wants us to understand clearly the reality of the world in which we live, and that is it is 
hard. Okay, it is difficult. But we also have, in, in the middle of these dark days, we have a promise and, and a tool that's been given to us. Okay? So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, look at this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, hey, here's that word again, right? In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So whereas in the, in the Old Testament, in the old times, as, as the writer of Hebrews is looking back, he said God spoke at various times, or at different times and in different ways. And that, that could also be translated bits and pieces. God revealed a little bit of himself here. He revealed a little bit of himself there. But now, he says, he has spoken to us through his son. So even in the middle of dark, of dark days, yes, that's a reality. Dark days will come. But the reality is also that God has spoken. We have his word to hold on to as a foundation in the middle of hard times. All right, so that's the reality. Dark days, hard times will come. Now we get to the reason, okay? So, so in verses 2 really through 7, we, we look at the reason for these hard times. And, and let me, now there's a whole long list of things here that, that Paul mentions that will characterize the, the, the last days, or that maybe you would even read them and say, well, that sounds a lot like now, right? I think someone reading this in the first century in, 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 uh, in Ephesus or in Rome would probably have said the same thing. This sounds a lot like now, because th- these 19 things between uh, verses 2 through 4 are simply describing a world that's living in darkness apart from God, apart from, uh, separated from Christ Jesus. Okay? So l- l- listen to these real quick, this, this list of things that he does. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than... so, so lovers of pleasure and not lovers of God. There you go, 19 things in the, in the course of two verses that he's just rattling off. Now, does this not sound just like Twitter? Does this not sound like where we are now? And yet, keep in mind that these words were written 2,000 years ago. So I'm always amazed when somebody says, well, the Bible has no relevance for today. And my question to that is always, have you read it? Like, really? Well, we just live in a completely different culture. Yes, but people really are not all that different. So so listen to me, okay? These are characteristics of the world, of people who are separated from Christ if these are spiritual realities for those who are walking in darkness, if, if these are spiritual issues, then the answer has to be spiritual. 
It's not political. The, the answer is not that we just need to fill Congress with, with depending on your side of the aisle, okay, let me play, let me not, I'm not, I'm not, not part, being partisan here, right? We, we need to fill the Congress with, with Republicans or Democrats. Or we just need to get the right person in the White House. Listen, over the last 30 years, we've had about every kind of ideology in the White House that you can imagine. How's that working out for us on the, in the, on the long run? It's not political. It's not, well, we just need to get the right leaders in to straighten everybody up. But, but listen here, because that, th- this is another danger that I think we can, uh, another mistake we can make because it's close, or it sounds close to the point. The answer is not that people just need to stop these behaviors. So, so the answer is not that, that people need to stop being disobedient to parents, although from a biblical standpoint, we would say you do, right? You do need to stop being disobedient to parents. But if we teach a child to be obedient to their parents without teaching them to be obedient to Christ, we've missed the point. So the biggest need is that we need people to start acting better or living better. The biggest need is that people would turn from sin and trust in Christ. By the way, just in case you think this is, uh, that, that Timothy's kind of dealing with this in a fishbowl, this list sounds a whole lot like a similar list that Paul wrote uh, to the Romans in Romans 1. And this is what he says there. It says, They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, excuse me, inventors of evil. I like that one. What are we going to do today, brain? Oh, I don't know. Anybody get pinky in the brain? Yeah. I just showed my age there. Going to invent evil. Disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Okay, so, so listen, if, you, if you're waiting like, for the answer for the reason for all this, the reason for all this, the, the, the first answer is people. Okay? Why is the world dark? People. Who are separated from their creator? This is a spiritual issue. And if, if the, the reason for the darkness is spiritual. The answer has to be spiritual. And, and so I would say as well, let us not be surprised when lost people act lost. So when we look at the culture around us, you, your head might be spinning a little bit. As, as we look at just some, some different things that are happening and, and the way it seems like evil is ramping up, listen, we in the church need to understand, first of all, we've been called to be a light in the world. It's the whole reason that, that Jesus doesn't like, you know, beam you up like Scotty as soon as you become a believer, right? That he doesn't just, and there you go. He left you here for a purpose, and that is to spread the, the gospel, to ex- see the kingdom of God expanded. So let us see the the darkness around us as a great opportunity to be gospel witnesses. But at the same time, let us not be shocked when sinners act like sinners. 
when, when folks who are separated from their creator and walking in darkness live and act and talk like they're living in darkness and separated from their creator. Because this is what Mark says. Now, now our actions are a good barometer of what's going on inside. Right? So, so Jesus says this in the book of Mark. He says, for from within, Mark 7, 21 and 22, for from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. This, these things proceed from within. And then look at verse 5. Paul says something interesting. Now, now, he's talking here, I think, about the culture at large, but he's also talking about these false teachers who've infiltrated uh, this church in Ephesus. These, these maybe even elders or one-time elders who are just spreading all kinds of false teaching, and we'll, we'll get into them just a little bit more here in a second. But look at this phrase in verse 5. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Again, Paul, Paul's instructed Timothy extensively about these false teachers, and it's likely that some of these individuals that Paul's talking about in, in, in this list in 2 through 4, these 19 kind of descriptors that he has of, of folks living separated from God, it, it's likely that some of those were exhibited in the false teachers. But he says here in verse 5, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. So it's possible... In fact, I would say it's even likely that these folks would claim to be followers of Christ. But they clearly don't hold to the biblical gospel. So, so in other words, these would not be like your hardened atheists, right? Oh, there's no God, so I can live however I want. They would say, no, I absolutely believe that there's a God. They might even go so far as to say, I believe that Jesus is God's son, When I was a kid, you know, six, seven, eight years old, yeah, I went to VBS and, and I walked the aisle and I hopped in the, in the baptistry, so I'm set. So I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and in the meantime, I'm going to live however I want. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. In fact, uh, this is what uh, Paul talks about in Titus 1.16, which we'll, we'll get there later on in the summer. Uh, it says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. Now think about that for a second. They claim to know him. Yes, I'm a Christian. And yet the fruit of their lives would deny that very confession. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any Good works. The reason I think this is so important is I was prepping for, for this message. I, I did something that I don't normally do, and that is, um, I, 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 well, okay, I, I do it often. I bought a book, which is not an unusual occurrence. Um, but there's a book that just came out um, earlier this year called The Unsaved Christian by, by a guy named Dean and Sarah, I-N-S, not Dean and Sarah, I-N-S-E-R-R-A, and Sarah is his last name. It's called The Unsaved Christian. Uh, Dean pastors in Tallahassee, Florida. 
He kind of calls the, the buckle of the Bible belt right there in that, that corner between uh, Georgia and, and Mississippi and, and Florida. And he says one of the things that he's encountered in his 15 years or so at his church is, is a ton of people who would claim to be followers of Christ and yet have exhibited no fruit in their life past their baptism when they were eight or nine years old after vacation Bible school or kids camp or youth camp or, or whatever. So, so they, they had some sort of experience, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, and then nothing changed in their lives. And yet they'll claim to be followers of Christ. They'll, they'll hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. Folks who would claim to be Christians but have no understanding of the gospel. In fact, what you might, what you might uh, hear is, well, to be a, a Christian means to be a good person, to live a good moral life. Now, okay, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, I hope that, that you're at least trying to live a good moral life, but not out of, out of some sense of trying to earn God's favor, but rather because... Christ gave his life for you. I've shared with you before, my fear is I will spend my life in ministry proclaiming God's word and have have folks in the pews who walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, maybe have been in church most of their lives, and miss the gospel. And I have a fear that there will be numerous people shocked when they get to heaven. And here, depart from me, I never knew you. What do you, what do you mean, depart from me? And I, I was baptized when I was seven years old. Because they've never trusted in Jesus. They've never really repented of sins. Now the problem in Ephesus is these folks were teaching. These were the pastors leading people astray. And and, and folks were listening to them. And that's why at the end of verse 5, Paul says, avoid these people. That's not to say, like, if you, if you know someone like that in your life who's, who's nothing more than a cultural Christian, uh, we, we kind of joke in, in, the, in, in pastor world, we call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, okay? And I never really thought about that before until I started reading this book. And he just talks about the, the ridiculousness of this phenomenon where people who will never darken the door the rest of the year come on Christmas and Easter. Like, like they'll, they'll observe the most important thing, like the, the resurrection of Jesus, that thing that changes everything. And they'll come and hunt Easter eggs and sit in church and then walk out and, and Monday is no different. Before we go on, I just, I'm, man, listen, if you're putting your faith in anything other than Jesus, it's time to stop. If you're putting your faith in your, in the fact that you're a, a member of First Baptist Church, 
You're missing the point. If you're putting your faith in the fact that, I, well, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer and I got in the tank when I was seven or eight years old, but I have no desire to be in God's word on a regular basis. I have no desire to share my faith with other people. I have no desire to, to make disciples who make disciples. I, I would simply say to you, it's time to reevaluate that decision. Because Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Orange trees produce oranges. Grew up in West Texas. Pecan trees produce pecans. Ridiculous amounts of pecan. Like, you know it's a pecan tree. And there are a lot of Christians who are claiming to be followers of Christ, and yet there's no pecans whatsoever. There hadn't been for about 40 years. May we be willing to ask hard questions of ourselves about where our faith and our trust really lies. As we go on, um, we get just a little bit of a sense of, of how these false teachers were operating, the way they were leading people astray. Verse 6, it says, For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. So, so apparently these false teachers were preying on vulnerable women, most likely widows, it says are, are overwhelmed in their own sin. They're struggling with their own sin. Always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. So, man, they are devouring this false teaching left and right. That, that's why this is so dangerous, because false teaching preys upon the vulnerable. False teachers always have a tendency to prey on those who maybe should know better, but don't. It's the whole send, send a, send a thousand dollar seed money and in the next month you'll get it back tenfold, right? So, so you have, you know, some lady living on social security thinking, hey, I could use some of that. Stick a check in the mail. Now this isn't, this isn't to say that men are exempt from this. It's just in, in Ephesus, in this particular instance, the men were these false teachers were preying on women. So that's not to say, men, that, that we're um, immune from falling into the traps of these false teachings. That's why Paul says avoid them. Avoid false teachings. That means don't buy their books. Don't watch their TV sermons. Don't listen to their podcasts. Don't send them your social security check. I won't name names here. If you really want to know, I'll give you a list after church. All right? So, so if you're like, well, who are these false teachers you're talking about? I've, I've got some suggestions, okay? Verses 8 and 9 were given very specific examples of this. And, the, and uh, talked about uh, Janus and Jambres, who were, uh, it, they're not listed in Scripture anywhere, but, but this would have been uh, from Jewish history, the sorcerers who opposed Moses, all right? So, so here's the resistance to the true gospel. Um, the, the men who when, when were we're told that Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake, and then uh, the Egyptian sorcerers were able to do the same thing. That's, that's, who these, that's who this is talking about. Now, in Jewish history, it said that these two men pretended to be Jewish converts. So they left Egypt with the Israelites. 
wind up in the desert with them. And in Jewish history, it said that they were part of inciting Aaron and the children of Israel to make the golden calf while Moses was up on the hill. And they were included in the group who died after they came back, after Moses came down off the mountain. Now, perhaps this is a tall tale, okay? Maybe this is a, uh, uh, maybe this is a, a Paul Bunyan and his big blue ox digging the Grand Canyon type thing. But the, the point is, when, when Paul throws out these names, the children of Israel would know who he was talking about, would know the stories, okay? Um, he's saying these, these are like, false teachers are like this. They are opposing God, leading people astray. That's what's so dangerous about some of these messages because they sound close to the same. Listen, you just come to church and you be a good person and you'll be set with God. That, that sounds like, isn't that what we want to hear? I mean, I just got to like come and give an hour of my life every week to come and sit in a pew and throw a few dollars in the offering plate and I'm good? Sweet. Especially like if you're a list keeper, man, that, that like falls right into, into line with your personality, right? And yet, it says that they were corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. They had no real faith. Romans one twenty eight tells us the same things about the, uh, the non-believers there. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind to do what is not right. And then Paul simply says that their foolishness will be clear to all. There will come a day where false teaching will be exposed, and false faith will be exposed. And listen, if, if, if you're, the foundation of your faith is in something you've done, there will come a time where that is exposed, and your faith will not stand. But if the foundation of our faith is in what Christ has done, for us, on our behalf. Him coming and living the perfect life that we could not live and dying the perfect death that we could not die. If that's the foundation of your faith, that will hold up regardless of what else is happening in your life. So let us be quick to ask, have we believed the gospel? Not, not this Americanized version of all good people go to heaven, but the actual gospel, turning from sin and trusting in Christ. And here's the danger. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're saved. Look at Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This morning, we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. To remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. Him taking the place on the cross that was ours. Becoming sin... For us, so that we might become in Him the righteousness of God. So, my 
simple question to you this morning is, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? The Bible says that we are to examine ourselves before we uh, observe the table. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to take a few moments and and spend some time in, in confession before the Lord. And then like we did a couple of weeks ago, I have have a prayer for us to pray together as the body to prepare our hearts to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. But first, let's spend just a few moments asking the Lord to search our hearts to reveal sin in our lives and confessing that. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that the biggest need that you have is, is, is not to be baptized. It's not to, not, not to be in church more often. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's convicted you this morning. The biggest need that you have right now is you need to be saved. Let's take just a few moments and focus our attention on the Lord. stand together and read this prayer that comes out of Valley of Vision. So this is a prayer that has been prayed in in the church for a couple hundred years. It's in your bulletin. The words will also be on the screen. As we prepare our hearts for the table, let's stand and recite this together. It's called Truth in Jesus. Life-giving God, quicken me to call upon thy name. For my mind is ignorant, my thoughts vagrant, my affections earthly, my heart unbelieving, and only thy spirit can help my infirmities. I approach thee as father and friend, my portion forever, my exceeding joy, my strength of heart. I believe in thee as God of nature the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus, my Savior. My guilty fears discourage and approach to thee, but I praise thee for the blessed news that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in me all that is dark. Establish me in me all that is wavering. Comfort in me all that is wretched. Accomplish in me all that is of thy goodness, and glorify in me the name of Jesus. I pass through a veil of tears, but bless thee for the opening gate of glory at its end. Enable me to realize as mine the better heavenly country. Prepare me for every part of my pilgrimage. Uphold my steps by thy word. Let no iniquity dominate me. Teach me that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end, that he cannot be redeemer if I am my own savior, that there can be no true union with him while the creature has my heart, 
that faith accepts him as Redeemer and Lord or not at all. Father, as we prepare to take the table, pray that you would turn our attention to Christ. Slain on the cross for our sake. As we remember his sacrifice this morning. Would you not let us forget that, but live in light of his sacrifice for us? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.